You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1845th edition of St Edmund's for News Talk for the 16th of September. The editor of this edition is Katrina, the producers are Colin and Roger and your readers are David and Carol. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. And now for the headlines. All about the bunny ears. Sea of pink as hundreds join girls' night out walk. Health chiefs urge residents to get COVID-19 jabs. Suffolk's part in Emma Raducanu's success story. Top restaurant warns of industry jobs crisis. Hundreds of women wearing pink flashing bunny ears turned out on Saturday night to walk miles across Bury St Edmunds. The annual Girls' Night Out for St Nicholas Hospice Care saw more than 800 people support the charity by walking a 6 or 11.2 mile route around the town. Funds are still being counted, but the hospice said every penny raised would make a massive difference to the charity. Charlie Damore, the hospice's events fundraiser and event organiser, said it is always emotional to see the walkers set off from Angel Hill together and to see such wonderful community spirit across the town. But this year it felt truly wonderful to see how much support for St Nicholas Hospice Care there is across the community. Walkers also remembered loved ones at the memory walls on Angel Hill and outside the hospice, and during the event's memory minute, which was observed before walkers set off on their challenge. Health chiefs have urged people in Suffolk to get their coronavirus vaccine after new data revealed more than a quarter of 18 to 44-year-olds in the county are yet to receive a first jab. Obtained by a Freedom of Information request, the figures, as of August the 25th, show 26% in the 18 to 24 bracket are yet to receive a first dose. More than 28% of 25 to 29-year-olds have not had their first jab, although 80% of 40- to 40-year-olds have had theirs. Across the 18- to 44-age bracket, almost 64,000 out of 251,000 people in Suffolk are yet to receive a first dose. A number of people in the UK have been hesitant to take up the vaccine for a variety of reasons. So-called anti-vaxxers have sparked debate by claiming vaccines are not safe and experimental and have been seen regularly protesting across the country. A spokesman for Suffolk Public Health said, The vaccination programme is working extremely well nationally and here in Suffolk, but there are still people who, for a variety of reasons, have chosen not to receive it. We would strongly advise anyone who is offered the vaccine 
to take it as soon as it is made available to them. While it will not necessarily stop you getting infected, having both jabs does offer around 80% protection against its effects, which is an extremely high ratio. If anyone is unsure, speak to your GP or any other healthcare professional in the NHS. These are the people who can give you the facts around the vaccine. It comes as Healthwatch Suffolk carried out research to see what young people's thoughts were on vaccines. The My Health Our Future survey, which took data from over 3,000 young people, revealed 45% were worried about the side effects of COVID-19 jabs. Younger students were more likely to agree with the statement. 18% said they were either unlikely or very unlikely to accept a vaccine if it was offered to them. A further 24% were unsure about it. However, 57% of the survey respondents said they were likely or very likely to accept a vaccine. Sensational tennis superstar Emma Raducanu has been the talk of the sporting world in recent days, but her journey to the US Open Open final began in Felixstowe. Earlier this year, the teenage sensation won the British tour held at Felixstowe Lawn Tennis Club between May the 24th and 29th. It was one of the first tennis tournaments to run in the UK this year, following the disruption of the, of the coronavirus pandemic. Her incredible performances didn't go unnoticed by the club. We were told she was an up-and-coming player, said Bill Canoe, chairman of Felixstowe Lawn Tennis Club. No one realised it was going to turn into what she has done. Mr Canoe said he had watched some of her matches while at the tournament. She did stand out a bit from the rest, he said. It was her poise. She just came across as someone who is confident. He said that the club watched on with delight as the youngster went from their tournament onto Wimbledon and the US Open. Mr Canoe has been impressed with her rapid rise this year and believes she could go all the way to the top. She could be a champion, he said. There's no reason she couldn't win Wimbledon. The Felixstowe Club is no stranger to tennis royalty, with champions such as Fred Perry having played there in the past. Mr Canoe said that stars like Emma could help bolster clubs like Felixstowe by inspiring youngsters to take up the game. Her time in Felixstowe isn't her only link to the county. Her coach, Andrew Richardson, who has been a well-known coach in the county, having spent much of his time working from Colford School. Suffolk-based tennis coach Nino Severino has also known Emma for a number of years through a very close friend who has been working with her. She has always been, been seen as an incredible talent. She has been very carefully managed and guided through the early years of her journey as we can all see, this was ex executed with perfection, he said. Emma's journey is quite simply jaw-dropping and totally unique. Emma is the real deal. Britain has in its tennis crown one of the most precious jewels on the WTA Tennis World Tour. The head chef of Suffolk's only Michelin-starred restaurant, Pea Porridge, says seismic change is needed in the industry to tackle the hospitality jobs crisis. For reasons including Covid and Brexit, there is a shortage of applicants for a large number of these vacancies in restaurants, pubs, cafes and hotels. 
pea porridge and award-winning Maison Bleu, both in Berry and Edmonds, are among leading restaurants that are backing a campaign to attract more people into his hospitality jobs. Choose Hospitality has been launched by West Suffolk College and other organisations, including the Berry Business Improvement District Tourism Group, Berry St Edmunds and beyond, and West Suffolk Council. The campaign is working with local hospitality leaders to help celebrate the varied amount of career options on offer and to dispel industry myths. The group also wants to create a jobs fair and work at a national level to help make working patterns more flexible and pay more enticing. Jason Sharp, who is the owner of Pea Porridge, said, To me, there needs to be a seismic change in the industry. In order to attract more people into hospitality, employers need to do more. Whilst a four-day working week is great, I believe in paying hourly rates rather than salary and creating an environment that's fun, jovial and educational. With eating out being as popular as ever, it is, in, in, it is inevitable that with restaurants and pubs and other establishments opening in great numbers, there will be a struggle to fill positions. So we need to work out how to make our industry more attractive and lucrative as a career, not just a stopgap. Karen Canavet, who runs Maison Bleu with husband Pascal, added, Now more than ever, we need to come together to help showcase the amazing and varied job roles that our industry offers. Phil Stittle, Executive Director for Business at West Suffolk College, said the college had teamed up with partners and industry to create a coordinated approach to support hospitality business in this region. I truly believe that Berry is one of the food capitals of the country and this campaign is all about making sure that it stays that way, he said. And now for some other news. A popular hairdresser is celebrating 40 years at the salon where he started his career. Peter Wade, 59, has been cutting hair at John Oliver's hairdressing in Thetford since 1981. In that time, he has not only witnessed many changes in the salon itself, but also hairstyles. The John Oliver Hairdressing Group took over the salon in Guildhall Street, Thetford, just a couple of months after Peter began work there, and so the salon itself is celebrating its 40th anniversary too. When I started in the 1980s, there was lots of perming and not a lot of colouring, said Peter. Now, it's completely the opposite. You have to be aware of trends and what people are watching and doing, but if you listen to the client, they always get the best haircut. The John Oliver Group runs a number of salons in Norfolk and Suffolk. In the early days, the salon on Guildhall Street, there were around 10 staff. Peter now runs the salon himself as owner and manager after running it with two other staff pre-Covid. He says clients can always be sure of getting the very latest in hair technology, design and care. It's the clients that keep me going, said Peter, who lives in Garboldersham. I'm not cutting, I'm now cutting the grandchildren's hair of clients I have known for years. It's the little things people say every day that make the job enjoyable. A nurse said the other day she was fed up with people complaining about not having all their freedoms due to Covid. 
She said they should try living for a month in China, and it made me laugh. Peter believes that listening is the secret to good hairdressing. He also works on the basis of what kind of hair a person has, face shape, body shape, and how much they want to look after their hair afterwards. Over the years, there's been icons like Princess Diana or Rachel from Friends, but styles these days are much more individual, he said. People here have a, a proper consultation, and in my job, I always believe hairdressers should listen more than they speak. John Oliver's hairdressing had to close for 20 weeks during the COVID period. Peter is currently looking for a qualified hairdresser to join him at the salon. Organisers of the 29th Bury St Edmunds Beer and Cider Festival, held at St Edmundsbury Cathedral, have said it had a record attendance. Held between August the 25th and August the 30th, the festival, organised by West Suffolk Campaign for Real Ale, known as Camera, saw more than 5,000 people go through the doors, up by more than 1,000 on the previous record. Martin Bate, the festival's organiser, said... The event was very successful and exceeded our expectations in terms of attendance and customer satisfaction. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive and I cannot count the number of people who spoke to me supporting our new venue and the festival experience. The camera branch is in talks about holding an event there next year, with this year's being the first of its kind held in a cathedral. Martin said... The festival team, our volunteers, the cathedral and our customers are fully supportive of repeating the event in 2022. We will take into account the views of customers and partners as to how we can develop for the future. The festival proceeds, which go to charities and good causes, are still being sorted out and will add to the more than £100,000 which has been raised since the festival first started. Martin said, We would like to thank all the festival's patrons for supporting us. We would particularly like to thank our volunteers who gave their time to make the festival a success. Without them, we could not operate an event of this scale. A particular thanks to the Dean and Chapter of the Cathedral for allowing us to carry out the festival in this remarkable space. It has been a pleasure to work with the Cathedral team and we're looking forward to next year's event with high hopes. When Green King gained planning permission for eight houses on the land behind the Railway Tavern pub in Elmswell and put the whole site up for sale, Elmswell Parish Council asked their residents whether they would support the borrowing that would be needed if it were to be bought for the community. The result was overwhelmingly supportive, as was a later appeal for hands-on help over a spruce-up weekend, when over 1,000 hours of volunteer labour from residents of all ages and with enormous support from local businesses, such as Woolpit Nursery and Brightacres Tool Hire, transformed the Down at Hill pub into a bright, family-friendly space with seating for over 200 in the much-trimmed walled garden, but a temporary measure only. A steering group representing a range of professional and business skills, including considerable experience of the hospitality industry, has formed a community interest company, Elmswell Community Enterprise, and has worked with the Parish Council to engage Alan Wilkinson 
of BCR Infinity Architects to bring forward concept designs which have already had a promising reception at a pre-application planning session and will soon go forward for planning permission as the next step to refurbishing and extending what will be the Elmswell Tavern, a comfortable roomy pub with spaces for all sizes of get-together and with tables for 50 eating indoors with the same for undercover outdoor dining. Consultations continue with presentations to community groups and displays in other village venues towards ensuring that the end result is what this fast-expanding village wants and needs. A family-friendly community hub with facilities for groups to meet, kids to play and with extensive dining facilities aimed at a village market. And now, participation extends to the chance for people to own their very own piece of their very own pub. On September the 17th online and on October the 1st, through every one of the 2000 Elmswell letterboxes, they will be offered the exciting prospect of buying shares in the venture. The concept plans have been widely circulated and there is a real buzz of interest in acquiring a stake in the village's future. The share prospectus follows the well-established lines of many other community ownership schemes governed by the Financial Conduct Authority, ensuring the protection of limited liability and the possibility of share interest being paid once the business is established. Meanwhile, the Elmswell Community Land Trust has been established, again steered by the Parish Council, to begin the process of providing affordable village homes on the land to replace the eight large executive homes originally intended. For full details of how to help take this exciting initiative forward, take a look at the website www.elmswelltavern.co.uk Members of the public have been donating money to Matthew Hancock's London Marathon fundraising page just to hurl abuse at the disgraced former Health Secretary. The West Suffolk MP, who resigned from his Cabinet role in June after he was caught breaking the coronavirus restrictions he helped to impose by kissing his aid, has plans to run the 26.2-mile route for the first time next month. He is raising money for the Bury St Edmunds-based St Nicholas Hospice Care. Despite having kept a low profile for the past few months, Mr Hancock came under the spotlight again after people took to his Just a Giving page to leave offensive comments alongside an anonymous donation of £2. Mr Hancock said on his page, The hospice was a fantastic charity working in my constituency. The page has so far raised more than £3,400 from more than 400 people. Following the success of its monthly Makers Market in Bury St Edmunds, West Suffolk Council has started a regular midweek one to draw in shoppers. The markets will be in the Travis between 9am to 4pm and will form a regular part of the town's Wednesday market. Julie Baird, Director for Planning and Growth at the Council, said, Our Sunday monthly makers' markets, including the one we held over last weekend, are already popular and offer another reason for people to come into town. We anticipate these midweek markets will be a similar success. Visitors will have a range of 10 stalls selling handmade items, including arts and crafts, with the mix of stalls changing regularly. 
The Wednesday Makers Markets are supported by the Suffolk Inclusive Growth Investment Fund following a successful bid by the Council in March. A Council has been urged to, to take action to address long-running problems of noise and pollution from lorries on a housing estate. Homes on Morton Hall in Berries and Edmonds have reported being plagued by issues of trucks rattling along Ortwell Road. While some of those HGVs are heading to and from Suffolk Park and Suffolk uh, a Business Park, it was recognised many were vehicles cutting the corner of the A14 connecting to the A134 and the A143. Councillor Trevor Beckworth has battled on behalf of residents for solutions to the problem for a number of years and brought a call to action to last Thursday's West Suffolk Council Scrutiny Committee in a last-ditch attempt for a solution. The committee has urged Suffolk County Council to work on a host of measures. They include signage at the business parks and the A14, encouraging use of Junction 45, as well as monitoring HGV flows, noise levels and pollution in Ortwell Road. It also called for an investigation into traffic orders to ban HGVs from Ortwell Road and an, an analysis of lorry parking in the area. Kerry Allen, who's Principal Transport Towns Planner at Suffolk County Council, said, This isn't Suffolk County Council sitting on its hands saying there's nothing we can do. We have continued to engage and there are a number of things we can take away and investigate. But I do want to make it clear that a, lo that a lot of this is about funding and the availability of funding. The County Council recommended that Councillor Beckwith can pursue a traffic order with the Parish Council, but that could cause other problems and would only be enforced with police resources. Nick Rumsey, who's the Managing Director of Suffolk Park Developers JNIC, said the firm could make a contribution for improved signs. Among residents who gave representations was Melanie Soans. She said the situation was almost unbearable and like another trunk road next to our houses. After coming out of retirement during lockdown, a pizza delivery driver and waiter has been putting smiles on the faces of customers. Martin Hogg, 70, of Bury St Edmunds, applied for a job at Doe & Co Woodfired Pizza in Abbeygate Street in January during the third lockdown after going stir-crazy at home. The 70-year-old has since become a popular figure with customers due to his smart attire and, posit and positivity towards the job. I'm so unexpected, he said. I'm a bit larger than life. Some people say flamboyant. It is unexpected. You're not expecting people to come bounding up to your doorstep the way I do. I'd been retired for 10 years before realising in January that I was going stir-crazy in my little house. I'm a fanatical football fan, but coronavirus killed that. Now I'm having fun interacting with customers and colleagues and having a laugh whilst trying to be as professional as possible. Martin, who is a season ticket holder at Ipswich Town, believes that his positivity and character can make for a great hospitality experience. Before working in the restaurant, Martin owned six china shops under his name. Averaging 40 hours a week, his new role takes Martin to various villages in the surrounding area, 
and can involve working until midnight in some cases. He said he believed that elderly people who are able to have a laugh and are not shy were perfect for hospitality and would encourage them to consider the industry. He said, it is good fun and good to chat to customers. I just want to make people happy. I'm just trying to spread the love. It's a healthy way for old folk to live. All old people should live like this. Get out there and get working. Holly Sinnott, restaurant supervisor for the Berry St Edmunds branch, said he's brilliant with the customers and he does sampling on the street as well. He's a brilliant driver and very efficient. A bad motorbike accident turned out to be the life event that propelled a young Suffolk man into starting his own business. Shoe repairer and key cutter Sam Green, 23, launched Beth Monty, named after his granddad's old transport company, in June this year in a converted horse box trailer. Two months later, Sam, who trades at Berry St Edmunds and Clare Markets and Woolpit Car Boot, won a National Market Traders Federation Award in Stratford-upon-Avon. Also at the final was Sophie Clark, 24, a textiles designer and maker from Mildenhall. Her business, Sophie Clark Designs, had only been trading for five months, but she also came away with an award. Earlier in the year, she left Brighton to move back home with her family due to the pandemic. Sam had been working at retail chain Timpson when he was involved in a major motorbike accident in July 2020 that fractured his spine in four places. He was lucky to he was lucky to still be alive and still have the ability to walk. He said he started to get better and went back to work at Timpson but was still struggling with his recovery. I thought if I don't do this for myself now, I won't ever do it. I need to give it a try, he said. With the help of two friends, Sam converted a horse box trailer into his mobile key cutting and shoe repair business. He said the first time he traded at Berry St Edmunds Market was for the regional final of the, the competition for young people. He went on to win the best general retail category for Bethmont at the Stratford-upon-Avon final. Sam had considered getting a shop, but doesn't regret being a market trader. His main advice to other young people is, no matter what you want to do in terms of starting out, I would look at the markets. He said, whatever your idea is, if you are set on doing it, try the markets first. Sophie loved the job she got out of university as a studio assistant in Brighton for Imogen Heath. But when lockdown happened, she decided to move back in with her parents in Mildenhall. She said, from having a job, I came home to nothing. It was the first time I have officially moved home in six years. After six years at uni and working away, it was a really big adjustment. I got straight back onto the loom. Sophie studied textiles innovation and design at Loughborough University, but she said she never really knew where I, I wanted to be and certainly never saw her having her own business as being possible. She launched Sophie Clark Designs five months ago when she got a loom 
and began weaving in a studio at her home, producing handwoven homeware products. She then decided to check out a maker's market in Bury St Edmunds and heard from one of the organisers about the regional finals for the NMTF competition for 16 to 30-year-olds taking place in the town. Sophie entered and got through to the national final in Stratford-upon-Avon, only her second market, and won Best Arts and Crafts. She said, I feel like the hard work I have put into my degree that I never saw this sort of future in is starting to pay off. Sophie got noticed at her stall at the final, and since then the orders have been flooding in. She weaves fabrics for cushions, table runners, stools and more, creating the designs herself. Her advice to other young people is, if you have a passion for something, then follow it. Members of the Bury St Edmunds and District Royal British Legion Poppy Appeal enjoyed a tea party as they celebrated 100 years of the women's section of the campaign. They were joined by their president, Joe Churchill, MP, and Councillor Margaret Marks, Chair of West Suffolk Council, and Sue Vero, RBL County Vice Chairman, among other members. Pip Davis, Chair of the local RBL, said, Just think how far women have come in 100 years. We, as a branch, are 95 years old this year and hope to still be here to celebrate our centenary. The group consists of women aged between 30 and 80 and enjoy a relaxed meeting on the first Thursday of every month, supporting members that may otherwise be alone, whilst raising money for the Women's Section Benevolent Fund. For more information, visit www.britishlegion.org.uk forward slash stories forward slash women's hyphen section. A Great Barton Church and CAF, aiming to be at the centre of its community, is appealing for volunteers to help. Jess Corbett has joined Freedom Church in Mill Road as its new community ministry leader, overseeing its Freedom CAF, which is now open five days a week, and providing support to the community by facilitating events at the CAF and church building. Our vision is to be part of the community, a place of presence and a resource for others, said Jess. What we really want is to be at the heart of the community, to be a community hub and become a useful resource, but we do need volunteers to help. She is launching an appeal for volunteers to help to staff the, to staff the CAF so the building can host more groups and events, such as Bury St Edmunds Breastfeeding Support Group, which meets on Tuesdays three popular toddler soft playgroups on Wednesdays and art classes starting next month. Over the past two years, the church has undergone a transformation. It now boasts modern and comfortable interiors, the calf area, a child-friendly room including a play area and toys, as well as a back hall. Other events in the pipeline include family-friendly events during half-term including a princess tea on October the 30th, followed by community fireworks on November the 7th. On November the 13th, the church will host a remembrance tea, open to the public in the morning, while nearby care homes will be invited in the afternoon. 
I am so excited to start this role, said Jess. I have come from a family business, so this is a culture change for me and the excitement for it has overtaken me. What I am hoping to get out of this role is more than I could get from any other job. An event to officially launch Freedom Calf is on September the 25th, with stalls featuring some of the groups using the building. The CAF is open now from 9am to 4pm, Tuesday to Saturday. Developers are looking to build more houses on a Bury St Edmunds estate after they submitted plans to turn an area earmarked for indoor sports facilities or leisure into 75 homes. The extra homes would be built on the Marham Park estate in the town by developers' countryside properties. The land is currently being used as a construction compound while work is carried out on the site, but under the original plans it was allocated as leisure space for the residents of the development. Marham Park is a wider consortium scheme that will bring around 1,000 new homes to Bury St Edmunds, with a number of different developers having built on the land. Changes have previously been made to the site after it was deemed that there was no requirement for the school site designated for it under the original site plans. As a result, that area is now under construction for residential use. Countryside Properties said the leisure area had failed to attract a commercial operator in the four years it had been marketed, but said that some facilities would still be retained alongside the new homes. A spokesman from Countryside said, Countryside has proactively marketed the site to the leisure sector since 2017 in the hope of attracting a commercial operator willing to acquire the site for an indoor sport and or leisure facility. Despite these efforts, there has been limited interest from willing and able operators. With the sector still in recovery from the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic, demand has weakened further leaving it probable that this part of the site will lay vacant and uncompleted for the foreseeable future. Rather than leaving the land dormant, Countryside is now seeking planning permission for 76 much-needed additional homes for the area, including a mixture of market and affordable housing. As part of these plans, Countryside would deliver the sports pitches and pavilion two years earlier than originally envisaged with the local authority able to make these amenities amenities available to the community, providing real sporting benefits for local people, added the countryside spokesman. West Suffolk Council will have the final say on the plans in due course. An England football cap belonging to Ipswich legend Sir Alf Ramsey has sold for £3,400 at auction. The cap which was awarded to the former Ipswich and England manager in a 1950 friendly against Yugoslavia, was sold at Lacey Scott and Knight in Berries and Edmonds on Friday, September the 10th. The blue velvet cap bears Ramsey's name badge inside. Ramsey captained the team for the 1950 match, which resulted in a 2-2 draw. The cap is slightly faded to the front and side, but auctioneer Glenn Pearl said it was in a good condition considering its age. The previous owner acquired it from Lady Victoria Ramsay while working at her home as a painter and decorator. The cap came with its provenance supported by a letter signed by Lady Ramsay 
dated 2011. Sir Alf Ramsey is best known for his World Cup win as England manager in 1966 and for leading Ipswich from the third to the first division between 1956 and 1962. Ramsey retired to Ipswich in 1980, where he lived until his death in 1999. And now we have some letters. The first one is from Susan Morley of Bury St Edmunds. About two weeks ago, as I walked up the butter market with a friend, she tripped and fell heavily. Almost immediately, people rushed to help, including a young doctor, Jasmine, from the West Suffolk Hospital Critical Care Unit, who was passing. Claire, a teacher, the shopkeepers and passers-by. It was truly amazing. We are both in our 80s, and it made such a difference to how we coped with it all and something we'll never forget. We have no way of thanking as the paramedics are from Colchester, unless you could publish this letter in the Berry Free Press. Felicity is making an excellent recovery. And then there's a very short letter from Michael Johnson via email. He says, The only way for the NHS to survive is to charge for its services. I know that it was a free service when it was first introduced, but times have changed. Prescriptions are chargeable. Why not the service? The next letter is, comes from Avril Dawson, who is Chair of Amnesty International in Berries and Edmonds. Given the speed and scale of the human rights crisis in Afghanistan, the UK's offer to resettle up to 20,000 vulnerable Afghans in the coming years risks being too little, too late. Teachers, journalists, women human rights defenders and those who've worked with the UK are, are among the many thousands of people at immediate risk under the Taliban. Amnesty recently reported on how Taliban fighters murdered nine ethnic Hazara men in grisly killings which saw several victims tortured to death. Caught flat-footed, the UK now needs to act with urgency and real generosity. We strongly support the proposed resettlement scheme to come. However, the ongoing evacuation and relocation effort should be made eligible for at-risk Afghans trapped in the country, as well as their family members, not just current or former UK-employed staff. Afghans who arrive in the UK independently should receive protection, including those who are already here, and the Home Office should drop draconian plans to criminalise those who seek asylum in the UK. It should also look urgently to extend family reunion visas to enable the UK's Afghan community to provide sanctuary to their loved ones who need to flee the country. This letter is from Richard Page via email. I have never written to the editor before, but I am so incensed regarding the events I shall relate, I have decided to put fingers to the keyboard for the first time in this respect. I walk my ancient Jack Russell on the Gainsborough field most days, and as such I am familiar with the uses to which this excellent amenity land is subjected by the inhabitants of our fine town. On Sunday, August the 29th, I was walking my dog as usual, and in observing two football teams preparing for their game, noted that all players, plus the referee, were changing in their cars and in the car park, 
which in itself was unusual given the excellent changing facilities which have been provided at this place. I was amazed to see a number of players relieving themselves against the hedges and fences of the properties along the Westley Road before taking to the pitch. This is wholly unacceptable behaviour. First, urinating in a public place is, I believe, illegal. Second, there were a number of ladies walking their dogs on the field at this time and several children using the playing field. Third, as previously stated, there are changing facilities and toilets which were provided at great expense to the taxpayer, but for some reason best known to others had not been opened and available to the players on this occasion. Are we to be obliged to tolerate such unacceptable behaviour by the users of the football pitches and by the authorities for failing to make the facilities available to the players? And this letter is from Joe Allen and Fred Grubbs. Bravo to everyone involved in all the events this summer in Bury St Edmunds. The weather may have been more autumn-like than summer warm, but all the activities have been life-affirming as we continue to reel from the pandemic. From Twelfth Night to the children's shows, to the cinema, the beer and cider festival, the Great Gatsby, the Food and Drink Festival, the upcoming Literary Festival, the Moments Exhibition and more, the town has done us all proud in having something for everyone. It's been great to see how well used the Abbey Gardens have been this year and special mention has to go to head gardener Martina and her fabulous team for their meticulous care and attention. We are fortunate and privileged to live in the heart of the Abbey Precinct and we have loved hearing some of the action from our home, as well as being at some of the events themselves. Couple that with so much going on in town, and it truly has been a joyful celebration of all Bury St Edmunds has to offer. We look forward to more such delights. A letter now from Councillor Tom Murray from St Olives and Marham Park. I was silly attempting to walk from town to the Newbury Centre last Tuesday. I'm only eight weeks into my recovery after triple bypass surgery. Suffice it to say I made it thanks to the young lady on the Howard who asked if I was okay when she found me sitting on the fence. On my way to the meeting I was disappointed and disgusted by all the pigeons' mess under the A14 and rail bridge in Beaton's Way. School children, adults, the elderly and cyclists all have to go through this toxic mess to and from schools and the shops. It's a health hazard and very slippery when it gets wet. Further on, the footpaths on the Howard estate are in a terrible, weedy, overgrown and disgusting state. The weeds grow out of the paving slabs, gutters are choked. The cycle path on Beaton's Way was the same. I know, as a country, certain pesticides are no longer in use. However, this is a dangerous health, trip, health and trip hazard, with accidents waiting to happen. I've had numerous complaints from residents. The meeting when I arrived was very well attended. Slides showed why the old committee has to be disbanded and a new charity set up to run the huge new centre. On the whole, everything was well received. Some computer slides wowed the audience as to what the final centre will look like. Two items were strongly voiced. Number one, 
Disappointment that no social club has been included in the new design so far. Number two, concerns were expressed that the bar and kitchen might not be large enough to cope with large events, considering the new venue had a much higher capacity. This will be a fabulous asset to the whole town, including St Olaf's and Marham Park, including Tollgate. The Children's Centre is adjoining with separate security. It's a work in progress, with no fixed date for the opening yet, and no prices for room hire, but the committee welcomes all comments and further meetings will take place. A well-deserved round of applause finished the meeting. And this letter is uh, from Barry Peters, who is the editor of the Berry Free Press. The spectre of an October firebreak lockdown reared its head this week. While the country tries to rumble back to some sort of normality, there are still slight gaps appearing on some supermarket shelves, and the odd business here and there is being forced into some sort of closure to combat COVID issues. Sporadic, yes but still evident. And we're getting used to the fact that we will be living with the virus for many months to come, maybe even years. The Prime Minister's official spokesman says the vaccination programme provides significant defences against coronavirus. Health chiefs are urging particularly a younger age demographic to seek out the jab or have it when offered. Figures released this week show more than a quarter of Suffolk 18 to 44 year olds have still not had their first jab. On the one hand, there is frustration at the lack of take-up. On the other, the views of anti-vaxxers can't be simply ignored. Everyone has the right to personal choice. So it's down to information, to science, to cold hard facts to lead and inform the debate as we enter another telling phase in the pandemic. That's the end of the letters. And here's a little piece. Um, it's starting in one of our local productions and it's called Chatterbox. Welcome to Chatterbox, a weekly sideways look at what's got you taking to the keyboard on social media this week. In the week that saw the end of Britney Spears' con conservatorship, we look at what headlines had readers talking. Martin Hogg, aged 70, from Bury St Edmunds, came out of retirement to work in Doe & Co, wood-fired pizza, after going stir-crazy, sat at home. Nick White responded, I have to say, I went here for the first time on Sunday. Both the pizzas and staff were excellent. Lynn Young was delighted. She said, keep up the positivity, Martin. More people need to learn from you. Laura Dowsing commented, Martin had delivered to us before and we both said what a lovely chap he is and what a change it makes to have someone so upbeat and friendly. Keep up the great work, Martin. We look forward to seeing you in the future. Melanie Soans replied, Always really friendly. Good luck to him. A petition has been launched by villagers David Flanagan and Deanne Smith in the hopes of seeing the return of the popular bus that runs between Norton and Bury St Edmunds. Steve Moore said, Buses are used off-peak mainly by OAPs and most of them would be happy to pay, to pay something for the service. Councils are forever cutting costs, but without their subsidies on many routes there would be hardly any service through villages. 
Jackie Coakley responded, I understand why they cut the buses out, but surely they realise the people that do use them do it because they have to. It's unfair on these people. Rye Balaam replied, Sproughton has had less buses than it used to for ages. I feel for elderly residents who rely on these services. I think it's dreadful. West Suffolk councillors have called for fines to be implemented for engine idling in the hopes of lowering emissions. Angie Shaw said, It's not impossible to do so. It prevents an awful lot of fumes from entering the town. If people change the way they drive when this could make a big difference. Modern cars don't need to be kept running while stationary. The news that world-renowned Canadian coffee house Tim Hortons will be opening a store in the Ipswich retail park has caused excitement amongst readers. Francis Ryan said, You know you've arrived when you start importing from Canada. John Landimore replied, I hope the prices are, are roughly the same as they would be in Canada. And Andy Singer commented, Tim Hortons are great. Look forward to it. And uh, this is um, about the rickshaw rides. Bury St Edmunds Rickshaw has resumed rides again for residents of Glastonbury Court Care Home. The charity was interrupted from giving residents visits around the town, its parks and gardens, due to the pandemic. On its return, Chantelle Sensia, who is the, uh, the customer relations manager at the care home, said, We would like to say a big thank you to the Bury St Edmunds rickshaw team. We cannot wait for our next ride out. And another little note here about um, Lloyds Bank. Planning permission to remove external signage from Lloyds Bank in High Street, Mildenhall, has been submitted confirming the closure of the branch. It is one of 29 Lloyds branches and 15 Halifax branches that will be closing their doors across England and Wales as digital banking customers continue to grow. A Bury St Edmunds man who is losing his sight and trying to raise £10,000 to buy vision-enhancing glasses with help from his daughter is edging ever closer to his target. Chris Moore, 37, has Stargatt's disease, flecked retina, flecked retina syndrome, a degenerative condition that could see him losing 95% of his sight. Chris' daughter, Macy, started fundraising for a pair of eSight electronic glasses for her dad in April this year, and the pair have also walked 350 kilometres together to raise cash. Now, after their most recent fundraiser, Chris is only £875 away from his £10,000 target. It comes after a race night at the Morton Hall Community Centre raised around £750. Chris, who thanked everyone for their support so far, said they will be holding a disco kitchen event in Haverhill in October, which would help him reach his target. And then Lake and Heath Football Club will be holding a cheque presentation to Dementia UK before tomorrow's match with Galston FC. The £1,505 was raised at a memorial match held by the club on July the 17th. It was in honour of former president and chairman Jean Finchin. Jean's son and current chairman Kevin will be handing the cheque to representatives of the charity at Lake and Heath's The Nest ground at 2.30pm. 
and this is about Neelers. Suffolk, the curious county, has its well-known tales of saints and martyrs, a great book that underpins the laws of the land, and towering churches where queens lie. We have villages under the sea, a writer of ghost stories who once lived in a spectre-infested village, and roaming black dogs with eyes of carmine fire. There are stories of tamer beasts, too, of Dalmatians who drank from a church horse trough as they searched for their stolen 101 puppies. Poor, mummified cats walled up in Tudor buildings, and the gentle giant working horses that ploughed our fields. We have curious place names, Fingerbread Hill, Beggar's Bush, Worsted O's, Burnt Dick Hill and Smear Marshes, and architecture that spits in the face of straightness, crinkle-crankled walls and Tudor skew-whiffness. But look a little harder. You will find thousands of smaller stories within this big, bold narrative. The pew-kneelers at the Cathedral of St James in Bury St Edmunds are one such example. Each one is like a chapter of a book, telling its own little tale. The kneelers are a relatively modern creation because prayer was not intended to be comfortable. Congregants were taught with a sense that the holiest of outcomes involved a degree of self-sacrifice and subjugation in the face of unheated and cold stone floors. The transaction was not between the worshipper and the church per se, but between them and God. Therefore, no comfy intermediary between the suppliant, floor and their God was offered. Times move on, though. Churches wanting to appear more welcoming are seeking new ways of embedding themselves into their community. They are, in effect, celebrating the ordinary people who once lived and continue to live and work in a parish, and kneelers tell their stories. They are a form of folk art, said Lady Bingham of Cornhill, who established an online record of church kneelers across the nation, and one which she says makes up a vast library of information about the interests of numerous parishes. Each parish was invited to choose a symbolic or literal emblem or motif when it was decided to make the kneelers. Some motifs possess layer upon layer of folklore and spiritual history spanning centuries. The scallop, an ancient symbol of Christianity, is central to the design of the St. James of to the St. James of Dunwich Kneeler. A broader symbol of the sea, of pilgrimage and fertility, the scallop is seen in paintings such as Botticelli's Venus. Dunwich's own loss of one of its churches to the might of the sea acts as a poignant counterpart to the scallop shell as a giver of life and facilitator of spiritual rebirth. Many of the kneelers use puns based on a parish name. A wheelbarrow was chosen by Barrow. A crow represents Crowfield, although Crowfield is not named from the bird, but crow, an old English word for nook or corner. Modern parish life is celebrated too. Leavenheath's grazing cows are juxtaposed with electricity pylons. Layston's kneeler is graced with its nuclear power station and Thorpe Ness's features the modernised house in the clouds. 
Suffolk's Watery Local and Maritime Heritage are represented by the cruel Wolverston smuggler's cat sitting in a cottage window. The tall mast of HMS Ganges, chosen by Shotley Parish, and Dallam's Golden Hind, captained by Sir Francis Drake. My favourite is Polstead's, whose blood-red cherries are both a reminder of its history as a fruit-growing region and the location of the Red Barn murder. Polstered cherry vendors used to sell their fruit by the pint and cry, Polstered cherries, polstered cherries, red as Maria Martin's blood, according to Ronald Blythe. I'm also rather fond of Bolger's Neela, where a single bloom of Fitzgerald Persian rose, the Rosa Damascene of the Caspian, with over 800 years of intoxicatingly perfumed history, commemorates Edward Fitzgerald. He lives in the churchyard of St Michael and All Angels. A friend of Tennyson, Fitzgerald was a translator of the Rubiant of Omar from its original Persian alongside some of its fellow Suffolk poet, George Crabbe's poems. Post-lockdown, the cathedral is in the process of putting out its kneelers once again. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berryfree Press, East Anglin Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. Telephone numbers mentioned in this edition are Theatre Royal, 01284769505, the Apex 01284758000, Haverhill Arts 01440714140, the Etta Royal Norwich 0160363000, and the Cambridge Corn Exchange 012233578511. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Colin, Roger, David, and Carol, it's goodbye. goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio. Thank you.